Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where Ars Technica writers and editors discuss the latest in the worlds of science, computing, technology, and everything else in between. During each episode, we dig deep into some of the issues we're writing about at ArsTechnica.com. We also talk about some of the stuff we're doing when we're not circling around the Ars orbiting headquarters. I'm your host, Cesar Torres, and this week I am joined by Senior Reviews Editor Lee Hutchinson. Hello. Hey, hey. And we've got Gaming Editor Kyle Orland in the house. Uh, hi there. How's it going? <laughs> All right. So we've got a really big show for you guys. But uh, before we go into that, we want to do a little bit of uh, an announcement and some housekeeping for the podcast. So uh, for those of you who are tuning in, uh, we have been producing this show for about a year and a half, and it's been a pretty amazing ride. And uh, we wanted to let you know today that um, the ride is going to continue, but for now, we're going to put this particular format of the show on pause. And so what this means is we're going to uh, end today with this particular episode. Uh, the archive will still be there in iTunes and Stitcher, everywhere else. So you can still listen to all the old ones and um, hear our early uh, versions of the show. But uh, for now, we're going to put this uh, Technicast into the vault. And then we're going to return in 2014 with a new format. So uh, keep your eyes open for that. Uh, I want to thank while we're here, all the people that have been on the Technicast in various forms, especially the early forms. So uh, Jackie Cheng, editor-at-large, uh, Casey Johnson, who couldn't be here with us today. She's the current co-host. Peter Bright. You guys can just go and listen. Uh, thanks to all of those guys for being here. Uh, I also want to take a moment to let you guys know I'm <clears throat> moving on from Ars Technica, and uh, I am not leaving tech, but I am moving to the user experience portion of the industry. So I'll be doing some user experience design uh, here in New York with a company called GFK uh, and User Centric. So uh, this is also a little bit of a goodbye on the show, but uh, I'm still here. Although I'll be at my new gig, I will not disappear from the podcasting universe. I will carry on in my show, The Labyrinth, and you guys can find that on iTunes if you want to follow me over there. You guys can always find me on Twitter, talk to me, etc. And I will contribute a piece or two still to Ars Technica. So I uh, want to let you guys know that uh, it's been pretty awesome. And uh, enough of announcements. We're going to go right into the show. So <clears throat> this week is a really, really big week. We've got finally what we talked to you guys about in a previous episode, which is the arrival of the consoles from both... Uh, Microsoft and Sony, PS4 and Xbox One. We had Lee and Kyle here on the show previously. So now we're going to uh, have you guys just kind of like dig right in because uh, you've had a chance to play with the hardware. Uh, there's a lot of speculation right now, even for people who haven't gotten their hands on it, on what they can do. Uh, is it worth it? And so we're here to deliver that to you before the holidays start rolling in. So you guys, uh, Kyle, you, you've... Uh, you've, I was with you when you started uh, playing with the PS4, but uh, tell us about everything you've done up to date. You have a lot of coverage on the site. A lot of coverage. I've been uh, putting in a lot of late nights getting these uh, comprehensive reviews up and trying to play all the games and try everything out. And basically, you said, is it worth it? And 
I guess my answer right now is probably no. Uh, this is usually my answer uh, when new consoles come out, and you know it's going to make me somewhat of a heretic in the the early adopter uh, tech crowd, maybe. But you know, when a new console comes out, you're never going to pay more for that console. You're never going to get a smaller selection of games, and those games are largely going to be rushed and look worse than games that come out later. And they're also going to be more expensive than games you can get later when they come down in price. My uh, advice would be, if you're looking for a new console, probably wait a year or two uh, for the price to come down, for developers to get a handle on it, and for Microsoft and Sony to fix some of the UI and uh, system problems that are there in the uh, initial consoles. Uh, the graphical jump is not... It's it's there, but it's not high enough to really justify rushing out and spending, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars just to get the latest and greatest, I think. So let me ask this, Kyle. This is the first time, uh, in my experience anyway, it's the first time we've had a, a current generation console launch where the consoles contained mostly the same type of guts under the hood, right? I mean, the last gen, when when the um, when the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 launched, uh, you know, they had wildly different internals. Uh, and, and this goes back all the way back to, you know, when the Sega Master System and the Nintendo were coming out. I think they had similar internals, although I'm sure I'd have to Wikipedia that to go for sure. Uh, no, not, not as similar as these. It's uh, Yeah, so that's, it, it that's go, what I mean. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, real go back, close. Go back through history, and it's really hard to find a time... When two consoles were coming out, one at the same time, and two with the almost the same exact uh, specs on paper, uh, the same architecture on the CPU, uh, similar class of GPU, slightly different uh, clock speeds, and uh, but all commodity and hardware, processing nothing, there. nothing all weird, commodity no, hardware, no custom CPUs or funky mm-hmm. stuff. No, the biggest difference you can really find is in uh, the RAM. Uh, Sony has a slightly faster RAM for its 8 gigs of, of unified memory, but uh, Microsoft also has 8 gigs of unified memory and uh, makes up for the slower speed with a smaller cache that has uh, much faster throughput than uh, anything on Sony's system. So if you can maximize that, you might even get better performance on the Xbox One. It's a little harder for developers maybe, but you know it's, it's a very small difference. They both have the same amount of RAM in there, and uh, it's... Yeah, it's pretty rare to see two consoles uh, that are so similar on paper. So that leads to another interesting interesting point that I've kind of been thinking about. When you look at past consoles, you, you mentioned launch games. Um, and when yeah. you look at past consoles, putting aside the quantity of launch games, there's always been that sense of, you know, these are the games that the system is starting out with. But as developers yeah. learn the quirks and get, get familiar with the development kits and get better at it, the games are only going to get better, like with... With I guess sure. one of the one of the biggest examples is like the Sega Saturn, which was from from my understanding one of the most complicated consoles of all time to program for, because it was such a departure from previous Sega hardware, and it was right. such a departure from the way that the PlayStation, the original PlayStation, did. Do you think that there will be a similar like I guess delta in quality over the lifetime of the systems, or do you think that? Because of the commodity nature of the hardware, developers are coming in already, kind of being like, "Well, I know how to program, you know, x86, 64, and and you know, I know how to program for these GPUs, right. so we're going to hit the round running." No, I think you'll still see uh, improvements. Um, 
people are going to get used to the APIs uh, being used in the systems on the development side and also uh, get used to, you know, using threading to uh, really maximize how to use those cores. Uh, when you're rushed for a launch system, you you can do a little bit of this, but you really don't have time to, to dig in and get the most out of it. And, you know, you've seen these, even look back at the Xbox 360, compare something uh, that came out at, at launch uh, on that system. And, uh, you know, the games that came out uh, in 2005 on the Xbox 360 were not real lookers. And then you look at... Uh, you know, a game like Assassin's Creed 4 on the system uh, today, and it's just uh, night and day. The PS3 is probably even a bigger change. If you look at The Last of Us compared to, I don't know, something like Lair, it's like they're on two different systems. Um, so there is a jump. If you're, if you're looking at late-stage, last-generation consoles compared to launch games for the new consoles, there's, there's definitely a jump, which you'd expect for seven to eight years of uh, hardware differences. But uh, the jump is less than I was expecting, I would say, and less than I've seen in previous generations. We've kind of hit a, a point of diminishing returns where we've, uh, we're, we're maxing out the resolution that's uh, discernible to the naked eye. Uh, we've uh, got enough polygons on the 360 and the PS3 that adding more only adds a little bit of refinement, and adding more textures really only makes it look uh, a little bit better. Um, the most apparent change is really in the lighting effects, I think, where you get you get lens flare on there that looks uh, much more realistic. If you're coming over a hill in Forza 5, the blinding light that comes at you seems uh, not just blinding, but realistically blinding, I guess. Uh, right. The way shadows are cast uh, and things like smoke effects, there's, uh, you know, there's differences there, but it's not the same kind of, you know, jaw-dropping wow you got when uh, you first saw uh, how real 3D characters looked on the PS2 or... Uh, you know, when you saw Altered Beast on the Genesis or Super Mario World on the Super NES, it's like, wow, look at all those colors, you know. The the jumps are getting smaller and smaller. Okay, let me... I had another question, too, because I'm kind of the outside observer on this, right? So, um, launch titles are always a fascinating and touchy subject <laughs> because they say that, you know, launch titles can make or break a system. And I, I hate to keep going back to previous gen, but... I think oh, the sure. ones the ones that emphasize the point the most are the a couple of several console generations ago when you look at the the spread out over the course of about a year the launch of the Nintendo 64 the Sega Saturn and the PlayStation or I guess in order yeah. it would be the the Saturn and then the PlayStation, PlayStation. and then the N64 yeah yep definitely yeah that's right so out of all of these the Saturn launched with with easily the weakest set of launch titles there was you know Panzer Dragoon which Nobody understood. There was Clockwork <laughs> Night, which nobody understood. Uh, and I think they also <laughs> launched with, uh, I think they also launched Virtu- with Virtua, Virtua Fighter, Fighter and, and Ridge mm-hmm. Racer, right? Uh, Ridge Racer was PlayStation. Okay, yeah. So they launched with Virtua Fighter. So Virtua Fighter had huge appeal. Uh, Daytona. What... Daytona was on Saturn. There, there you go. There you go. I knew there was a, I knew there was so, a racing game in there. Anyway. Then the PlayStation launched with fewer titles, but but arguably better titles. And then the mm-hmm. weird one is the Nintendo 64, which launched, which was scheduled to launch with three, and then mm-hmm. they were they were going to launch with uh, Pilot Wings, Mario, and um, Wave Racer, and then Wave mm-hmm. Racer got pulled, and so the system yep. only launched Pushed back with, a month. Yeah, so the system only launched right before Christmas with two titles, and yet when you right. look at the at the um, like the first six months of sales of the Nintendo 64 versus the PlayStation original versus the Saturn, the Nintendo absolutely just steamroller dominated everything else. It destroyed 
all it destroyed both the other consoles sales records great probably titles. Quali- pure, quality yeah, over quantity purely on the back of you know the fact that it had a mario game in it that also every publication in the universe was busy saying this is the greatest video game of all time yeah so, so bringing this around to the current gen um do you think that that the launch titles that both consoles are dropping with are able to tell the full realistic story of each of each console um I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say that's pretty normal, too. You know, we, we kind of remember uh, the Super Mario 64s, uh, the Soul Calibur 2s on the Dreamcast, uh, Halo on the on the original Xbox, the, the kind of games that are somehow make it to launch day and are also, you know, generational touchstones that uh, can really serve as system sellers. But we remember these games, but they are the exception Rather than the rule, most systems, when they come out, have a grab bag of games that are uh, ports of titles from older that are already on older systems, or you know, generic uh, genre games that uh, people have rushed out uh, with limited content to, just to make it to launch day. And in general, developers are struggling with a new console, really. Uh, are at a disadvantage because, you know, they're learning a new development environment, they're uh, pressed for time because they have to make it to launch day, and that really usually has an impact on quality. Um, We're we're seeing that this time around. There are some good games in uh, both launches, but definitely no uh, ultimate system sellers, no 10 out of 10 must-buy breakthroughs that will uh, single-handedly lead to sellouts. Uh, There's not even... Anything like Wii Sports that really shows off something totally new that you could not do before in any form uh, or sense of the word to really drive sales. Uh, See, no, early adopters are going to get in on it. They're both going to do very well through the holidays. But I don't see that game yet that uh, is really going to push the masses to clamor for the systems, to upgrade uh, right off. the only one on the horizon that I think might do it is uh, Titanfall, which is going to be an Xbox One exclusive uh, coming in March, I believe. Uh, that is a very polished first-person shooter with uh, mech uh, combat built in. These, these giant robots falling from the sky. You climb in them, and then you, you could kind of just step on uh, the people who are tormenting you. But the small, small, smaller people have... Uh, you know, rockets and things to, to balance it out. It's all very fast. There's uh, rocket jumps and, and climbing, a ver- lot of verticality to it. That's the game that I'm really looking forward to uh, showing off what uh, the next generation systems can do. Let me ask you kind of a meta question real quick. I know Cesar probably has something he wants to get in, but I, I want to ask this real quick. Do you think it's telling that we've been we've been talking for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, and we've been talking exclusively about games and not for the the overall battle for the living room because you know both consoles have more stuff that they can do the xbox particularly in the run-up you know microsoft made a huge deal about all of the other amazing things that it can do with you know tv and connects and you know whatever the hell else it does but i mean we've been talking about games do you think that the focus on the wider living room experience is misplaced and and the playstation 4 has the right idea or i mean or is is the wider thing what everyone should be looking at? I don't know. Maybe that says more about us than it does about. Yeah, maybe it does. 
we're, we're old and we're locked into our ways. You know, you buy a console, yeah. you plug it in, you play games. That's what it does. No, um, Microsoft especially is really going for those extra living room functions. But, you know, people aren't going to buy a $500 unit for those functions. What, what they're going to do is they're going to look – if they're interested in a gaming system, they're going to look at what gaming systems are out there and then notice that, okay, Microsoft's costs $100 more, but it has these functions. It has the voice controls. It has TV pass-through. It has uh, multitasking through uh, snap mode. And uh, like I said in my review, you know, these features are nice, if if not perfect. Uh, snap mode could, could use a few improvements in uh, performance and uh, in the size of the videos that you can snap on the side. Uh, voice controls don't work uh, outright, you know, 10 or 20% of the time. And, you know, calling out things with your voice is convenient, but also annoying if there's other people in the room. Uh, these things are... Nice to have, but I'm not sure that they are $100 nice to have when uh, the consoles, as we've discussed, are so similar otherwise. Uh, I really think it is going to be gaming that, that drives these systems, and any media functions are going to be nice extras. These these aren't direct competitors to something like uh, Apple TV or Roku, you know, $100 boxes that do uh, similar media center functions. Uh, those are just add-ons, really, for a core gaming experience. You know, it seems to me that part of the, the lack of this novelty that, I mean, I notice it too, mm -hmm. that there isn't a, sort of a breakthrough in the interface or the games themselves, and that's kind of what people who play games are looking for, right? Something fresh. Sure. Uh, that might be because the, you know, the this these two machines have been around for so long in people's living rooms. It might just make more sense to just continue giving people more of what they want, improving the hardware, knowing that the types of games that people want are really loved on these consoles, uh, and that to some extent that conversation can be kept a little bit separate from people who choose uh, hardcore PC gaming. Uh, I, I mean, I think that speaks maybe to the age, like you said, of everybody here who who has played with these machines and keeps one in their living room. Uh, because I, I truly think this is... Just my speculation, everybody. <laughs> if there's somebody listening to this, I would love to hear their feedback if they're under 25 because they might really love consoles, but it seems to me that the things that they care about have very little to do with the living room. Um, they might have a lot to do with gaming, maybe having convenience or watching uh, TV on little screens. Uh, and I'm sure they want to play games on a console, but it might it might be a different set of concerns. And uh, I think maybe... Xbox and PS4, you know, they're just sort of getting ready to squeeze this last bit of life out of these uh, before the next thing arrives, maybe in the next decade. So um, I'm very well, curious about it. I I'm optimistic. I I'm not like down on this, by the way. I think it's cool that they're releasing these. It just I'm not seeing that novelty there. Well, yeah, there are there are a lot of people out there who are kind of, you know, going end of history this time around and saying, oh, these are the last consoles that are ever going to come out. And you know, we're, we're reaching such a point of diminishing returns that uh, it's going to be pointless to uh, iterate on the hardware, and they're just going to keep adding so new software features until uh, they're they're unrecognizable. But, uh, you know, I think that's a little bit myopic. We're going to look back in, I don't know, 2020 or so and uh, see uh, what's possible on PCs of that day, and, and then we're going to look at our PS4s and Xbox Ones that are so hot right now, and, and we're going to go, oh, you know, this this needs another update to support you know uh, whatever 
uh, VR headsets is out there that are holographic projections on the walls, or it's it's going to keep uh, going like that. There there will be more innovations to come, and uh, there is farther to go. You know, there well, was, you know that, there was, that, that leads me to, to oh sorry. I, I was um, going to say there was an interesting piece I read before we leave this topic, talking about how uh, I didn't really agree with it because it didn't jive with my with my personal experience, but I'm old, as we've been talking. There was a piece I read that said that Microsoft's focus on the, the, the living room, like you can hear the capital letters, the living room, is a fundamental misunderstanding of, of the, the emerging modern markets here, even North America and other places. Uh, the, the piece was sort of targeted around millennial expectations. I know I'm not supposed to use the word millennial because everybody, you get in trouble when you start talking about millennials. But it said that the idea of you know, uh, of of the the nuclear or semi-nuclear family sitting in a living room dominated by a television with a place to put a console and a big field of view for a connect where the family's entertainment experience is focused in this living room type, you know, environment is an outdated model. And that by by building a console with an, with an interactive experience centered around the prototypical living room, Microsoft is swinging and missing its primary target group. It's it's you know it's demo of young and upcoming moneyed people because they don't have necessarily the living room with the big TV and the and the console. They've got the apartment that they're renting, or they've got the loft, or the the little bohemian place that they're living because you know young urban professionals are all living inside of cities now and they don't have big living rooms. It's it it was it was an interesting take. It, like I said, it didn't really jive with what I've seen, but I saw a lot of, I mean, I've, I'm pretty sure I got a link to that on Reddit, and I saw a tremendous number of threads and comments on Reddit echoing that, you know, I don't have a big living room with a big TV. I don't care about Connect, you know. what? Yes, yes. Internet commenters do not have that. I, I agree with that. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of nuclear families still out there, though, and they're the ones uh, yes. with a lot of uh, not not disposable income, but who are really, you know, targeted at this you know you get it for uh you know the 30 or 40 somethings who are starting families they might want uh, a video game console for themselves to to play on but and also uh for the kids something they can share with them and that's probably going to be a living room experience you're not going to gather around uh the 3ds or your your office pc you're going to gather around uh, the living room tv and even for the people in the family that might not play games I think what Microsoft is going for is you'll buy it for the gaming, and then, oh, maybe uh, the, the spouse that doesn't play games will want to snap a TV show while you're, while you're playing the game, if they don't have a tablet, I guess. Or they'll appreciate the voice commands and not having to find the remote to turn on Hulu Plus, or um, you know, being able to, to pass the TV through and uh, also browse the internet on a, a very small snap window on the right side of the system, I guess. It's a little clunkily implemented but i can see the ideal use cases being useful for not for yeah those people who are leaving the comments but for a kind of family where you 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 do your live who does their living in the living room i think those families still exist even if they're not you know the upwardly mobile 20 to 30 year olds who are, are all anyone cares about as far as pop culture right you know what strikes me also uh, as something maybe to look forward to because I'm seeing the the early peaks at this in in both of the consoles is this um, right now it's called integration right of social features you've got the you you, you wrote about the 
ability to record gameplay and share it and being able to comment, uh, you know, it really does feel like there's a transition going on here because it it's coming in sort of maybe in the later half of the of the lifetime of these machines but uh on the side of like PC gaming for example or some of these these titles from Xbox and PS4 there there's such a rich world of gaming where people you know really build their social schedule around the games they're going to play and they're, they're really fulfilling for them i do think there is probably a big breakthrough that is still meant to happen in the future and that might actually be the novelty that that people need for some of these games because like you said the the software and the hardware can really render beautiful looking stuff but where's the, you know where's the innovative gameplay i th- still think that um Online gaming, when it comes to big groups, is still uh, kind of not fully up on its legs. And I think when it does that, uh, I think that's going to be a a huge breakthrough. And I'm talking about like when everybody's on it, like the way that things happened with Facebook. You know, now everybody truly is on Facebook, right? Um, There might be a game in the future that might be so compelling that everybody has to play it. And that could really uh, be supported by beautiful like hardware like this and and software Um, or something that integrates with mobile, which these devices also do. You know, that we saw many games that also bring in the tablet uh, to bring in that social element. I think you're kind of describing Candy Crush Saga. (laughs) <laughs> that's, but that's exactly my point that's exactly my point you know everybody that's right. listening to this show all our listeners when you hear the candy crush saga if you play a lot of games sometimes that just makes like it brings tears like hot tears to your face because you're like why is this happening <laughs> uh it makes me do that but if somebody were to just develop a, a game clever enough and cool enough where everybody really did want to play it and it was socially integrated where it didn't feel primitive on your console or your handheld I'm telling you, like, that would just be uh, huge. Um, and that, that might happen. I mean, th- these things happen with Mario. Mario was like a right. huge title that made the world play video games. I, like, I, I yeah. don't think we've hit that yet with social. I think the closest we've come to that actually is is Minecraft, which is uh, a much yeah. more social game than a lot of people give it uh, credit for. You can you can play single player largely and just uh, go around. But most what most people are doing is going onto private servers where they've they've created crazy rules or these ridiculous uh, setups and, you know, just building stuff together, collaborative uh, Lego yeah. building in space, and uh, that's really where it's going. But uh, getting back to what you said about um, streaming on the PS4, uh, I think this has the potential to be kind of a killer app for this generation of consoles. You know, I've, I had never uh, streamed gameplay before. Uh, I could have done it on a, on a PC pretty easily, but I never went to the trouble of figuring out how and uh, getting all the hardware set up uh, you can also do it on older consoles, but you need a ridiculous array of things coming out of your console and plugging into the uh, laptop and uh, headsets and whatnot to get it to work. So I, I'd never really get built. With the PS4, you hit the share button, uh, you fill out 30 seconds worth of options, and then you're broadcasting to the world. Uh, it's it's pretty neat when you get viewers on that, and you can see the comments that they're leaving at the bottom of your screen as you play. And then you can actually just respond to them using your voice, using a headset. You just uh, talk back to them. And you know, even if you're playing a single-player game, it makes it feel a lot less lonely, I guess, if people are out there watching you and uh, responding to you. I think a lot of people are going to try this out for the first time with the PS4 and eventually the Xbox One, which is, is getting the feature next year. And I think some of them are really going to get addicted to it. You know, We're going to find a few new streaming stars out of this the the idea of 
you know, the whole idea of the internet, why wasn't I consulted? Uh, people want to, to be heard. Uh, even if they're playing alone, they want the idea, oh, oh some I, this is interesting enough that someone will want to watch me playing this game alone. And for some of those people, that'll be true. Well, and this isn't just an altruistic gesture on on the part of the console makers either. Oh, there's there's revenue to be generated by capturing those eyes and pre-rolling ads in front of and rolling ads on top of that gameplay, right? Sure, yeah. Twitch uh, and Ustream both run ads. Um, I think if you uh, actually get a channel on Twitch that's popular enough, they will pay you uh, part of a revenue share with those ads. But I don't think the, the general peons who are only getting you know a few dozen viewers get that. But if you uh, are really successful at it, you could actually... There are people who make a living just uh, playing games and, and streaming them uh, at all hours of the day. And, you know, the whole communities have gathered around to leave comments and basically talk to them as they're live streaming. Sounds like hard, yeah, what... hard life, man. I know you've been buried in gaming <laughs> to get both these system reviews out, and you know there are, there are probably commenters who are all like, man, I wish I could get paid to play games all day long with new console systems, but, I mean... <laughs> yeah, yeah. People, people who think I have the dream gig, the, those guys who are streaming games and just, you know, chatting about it all day, they have the real dream gig. That's the next level. Yeah, because you, you know, you've just been hit, like, for weeks in a row with... Uh, it's, it's been a busy month, but I can't complain. Uh, you know, a lot of... I, I had to travel out to San Francisco to visit with Microsoft and try out their system before I got it, and then had to fly out to New York for Sony so they could give me the PlayStation 4, which I had to rush home and, and you know, marathon through for the week, and then right back to the Xbox. And uh, I've, I've lost a little sleep this week, but uh, it's been exciting. You know, this this only comes around once every seven or eight years, and I remember the last time it happened uh, with the PS3 and the Wii. Uh, I, I drove up to Philadelphia, and we just spent uh, 48 hours, me and my editor, and a few of our other writers just, you know, trying out those systems every which way uh, in, a, in a cramped apartment and, and having a great time with it. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a new toy to play with. And it's, uh, even if it's not uh, a revolution uh, that will change the way you think about video gaming, it's, uh, it's uh, not that often that you uh, get this kind of thing in the console space. I, I wanted to mention also the industrial design of both of these machines. Now, I think we can spend, personally, I think we should spend very little time talking about the console itself because <laughs> they, I don't think, I, they're just not like compelling enough, uh, pieces of hardware. I, I mean, they, they, they look good. They're black. Uh, they yeah. have, you know, hard edges, but maybe we can spend some time on the, on the controllers for sure. Oh. Uh, so Kyle, tell us, give us your impressions of like the, the industrial design. Cause it, I know people right. love talking about this. So with the, with the boxes themselves, yeah, they're, I mean, they're just going to sit in your entertainment center. It's not like a tablet or a portable that you're holding all the time or really matters, uh, how it's designed or a phone. Uh, it, that said, you know, the PS4 is a lot smaller, a lot better looking, uh, very nice, very nice angles. Uh, a nice front that uh, you know hides the disc slot and the USB, so it's uh, very flat. Uh, the Xbox One, on the other hand, is is a big, bulky box. It's it's about the size of the original Xbox back in two thousand one, the one that everyone made jokes about being so large, which is uh, kind of depressing. Uh, but uh, the Xbox One makes up for it though, because it's really quiet. When it's running, there is a, a very large fan inside that you can barely hear, 
uh, when you get right up close to the system. And from across the living room, you wouldn't even know it's on. So you know, it's a little bit of give and take there. So as far as the controllers are concerned, uh, DualShock 4 is a huge improvement over the uh, DualShock 3 that was on the PlayStation 3. They've added a sort of lip to the shoulder triggers, so now when you push them down, they're a lot harder to slip off of out the back. And they also added divots into the center of the analog sticks, much like the Xbox 360 had, so uh, it's much harder to slip off there as well. Um, That said, the Xbox One controller is probably even more comfortable. They've added a sort of curve to the sides of the shoulder buttons, so that your fingers kind of fit in a ridge between the the back triggers and the front bumpers, uh, making it really easy to hit them both. They have a a corrugated edge around the sides of the analog sticks that really gives you a lot of traction, especially when you're pushing down uh, from the bottom of the analog stick instead of holding it on the top, as you do sometimes. Uh, The only real problem with the Xbox One controller I found is that uh, it doesn't have a rechargeable battery pack. It still uses regular double A's, and it uses proprietary headsets, including the one, the really cheapo one that comes with the system. Uh, so you can't use your existing headsets. Well, on the PS4, you can use any standard uh, microphone or a headset plug. Uh, on the other side, the PS4, though it has a rechargeable battery, it only lasts about seven hours. So you're going to be plugging in a lot. Well, the Xbox One on two AA batteries. It's been lasting for uh, weeks now without uh, any noticeable uh, degradation. So, give and take there. They're, it's surprising that they're so comparable, considering that last generation, uh, Microsoft really had the edge in this category. And uh, as far as, you know, what you're actually using now in your living room, like, how do you have these set up? Are, are you are you sort of leaning towards one uh, over the other, or... Uh, you know, what's it actually like to have both of them in there? I know you're going on very little sleep, so it's probably not a fair question. Uh, yeah, I mean, so far I've been playing them with, using them with uh, a focus on reviews, so I've really been trying out a lot of the hardware and had less time than I would like uh, for actually playing games. Um, but, you know, they're both in my entertainment center now. I pushed out uh, the PS3 and the Xbox 360 to the side uh, to fit them in, but uh, they both get in there. Uh you know, the Kinect itself is kind of big and bulky and won't, just like the old Kinect, won't really rest on top of a flat panel TV. So you have to have space in front of your TV to kind of place it. Uh, it that's going to be tough if you have the TV mounted on the wall. I don't know if you're you're going to mount the Kinect on the wall too, I guess, or just have it lying right. there kind of impotently on the floor. Uh, it's not really uh, very convenient. Um the PlayStation Eye camera, which is optional on the PlayStation 4, uh, is a lot smaller, uh, and it has a little stand, so you can put it on top of your TV very nicely. Uh, so, my, But right now, my living room is, is quite cluttered with uh, wires and uh, things as I've unplugged and replugged things to, uh, <laughs> to try them out, and uh, hopefully uh, today I can start cleaning up a little bit and then getting back to uh, standard usage patterns rather than, uh, you know, uh, review. I think the uh, the login with with face recognition was uh, interesting. Um, I I mean, when you first see it, it seems kind of like a novelty. But uh, do you know at all if there's going to be any plans to integrate sort of face recognition into games themselves? I mean, I see like there's some sort of 
horizon out there, but I, I haven't followed enough of the buzz to, to, to see if that's the case. Yeah, nothing I've really heard of. You know, back when the Kinect first came out and sold, you know, 10 million units in a few months or something, uh, people were very excited about the potential of it and, uh, you know, motion controls, and you can see people's emotions on their faces. Yeah, I want to see my to... head sticking out the window in the latest version of Forza when I drive past you in my car. Yeah, you know, and we're we're going to do everything. It's going to change everything. And then people kind of made some gimmicky games that, you know, had a little bit of lag and uh, were fun for kids, but never it didn't really catch on. You know, a lot of people, uh, besides Dance Central, I don't think a lot of people used their Xbox 360 Connects after a few months. It came off as kind of gimmicky. Uh, I think that kind of set back the idea of really revolutionary games with, with uh, the new Kinect. Uh, you know, even though it has a much higher fidelity, has much... Uh, reduced lag, and is, um, you know, a big improvement over the Xbox 360 Kinect. People are like, oh, motion control games, that's kind of passe, you know, doing things with facial reactions, that's uh, really not much to it. The the only launch game that really uses it very interestingly, I think, is uh, Zoo Tycoon, where uh, there's actually a mode where you can interact with a, a monkey or an ape, I forget which, and you as you make faces it responds by making those faces back to you on the character model. Uh, it's like looking in a, an ape-shaped mirror, and you can see a faint glow of your actual face on the TV screen as you do that. So you, you're jumping around and dancing, and he'll you know, mimic you, which is, is kind of cute. Uh, so I think there's, especially with the Kinect included with every Xbox One, there's the potential there for developers to really leap onto it if they want. Uh, it might take a little bit for them to really want to do that, though, or it's going to take some sort of uh, killer app that we haven't seen to really say, show people, oh, yeah, I, re- I remember that, motion controls. Let's uh, let's see what we can do with that now that the technology has improved. Now, the uh, the strategy that, that people... I mean, I, th- I think there is a strategy that people employ when they these new machines are being rolled out and they either have a console or... Etc. You know, they're thinking about like, how am I going to do this? Do I want both? Uh, do I want just one of them? Uh, the conversations that I had with you here in New York for the the PlayStation Four event were really interesting because, um, you know, they were individualized to me. What I was asking you about sort of my needs for a, a new console. Yeah. I, as people heard right. on this show like a year and a half ago, because I've been in transition between cities and. Kind of being all over the place, uh, my need for a console has has lessened because I don't always have the space or a television, etc. But I'm a little bit more settled now, and I was really thinking, you know, I think the time has come to get one. And um, this is it, it made sense. Uh, you know, you've seen shiny new things, and you're like, I, I want a shiny new thing. <laughs> but uh, in this case, uh, waiting waiting for the, the games to catch up with the hardware and for developers to really kind of max out what's there with the gameplay yeah. is, is, a, is a waiting game that could take easily a year or two years, maybe more. And then in the meantime, if you have either an Xbox or a PS3, you can enjoy that whole library of games if you've missed out on them like I have. So maybe I'm a little unusual. Uh, I'm, I'm a particular use case for this because... Uh, I've focused for the past two years more on iPad gaming because I was curious about it and I thought I could make it work. But I'm really at that point where I I feel like as much as I love some of those games on iPad, that they're still not delivering what I want out of right. like a fir- first person shooter, RPGs, you know, stuff that really requires more attention and is more 
provides more satisfaction as a gamer. Right. So I think it's cool. Like I, I think um, your pieces, your your coverage that you've done, really kind of gets those conversations going. I, I, that's what I encourage people to do when they're talking about this. Is sort of not just ask like, should I get it? But think about what you're really playing and your, what your needs are as a gamer. Yeah, my. My advice to you, particularly, I think, was because you didn't have a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox 360, that this yeah. is really the time not to upgrade to the latest, but to, you know, kind of downgrade to what's going out. You're, the outgoing prices for those uh, old systems, uh, GameStop is going to be flooded with them, and uh, getting rid of them dirt cheap. Uh, you can get uh, close to $100 for either system, I think, or maybe up to $200 for a real high-end PS4 used uh, so that gets you a system and, you know, seven or eight years of great games that, that and, you've missed out on. And in the case of the PlayStation 3, you get a, a finger quotes free Blu-ray player, like, thrown into the mix, too, that with, sure. with a yeah. 360 you yeah. do not get still. That's true. So, yeah, I'm, this is the... If you if you missed out on the last generation sometime, for, for some reason, like, like Cesar did, this is the time to uh, jump in on that. And then... Uh, with the money you've saved in two years, you will be able to buy the Xbox One and PlayStation or PlayStation Four when they'll have robust libraries and probably be a little cheaper, and also have some bargain bin games uh, that uh, you might want to pick up. Uh, so you'll miss out on you know having the latest and greatest and being able to brag to all your friends, but you'll probably get uh, more for your entertainment dollar. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm kind of a budget nerd, but I also love games, and so this is it's exciting. Um, and really, I could just walk out today and go start getting those cheap systems. So I think I might do that. Uh, okay. Now, Lee, yeah, Lee. Uh, so you know, you're here on the show. You were on the previous one where we speculated about what was going to happen. But uh, what's your situation like? I mean, you you obviously play a lot of PC games, but are you going to pick up any of these? Uh, you know, what's what's your deal? No, very doubtful. <laughs> I've, uh, I thought you might say I'm, that. I'm, I'm kind of, so. I'm content with my, I'm content with my current gaming situation. Um, truthfully, I have, I have an Xbox 360 and I have a PlayStation 3. I have them both the current or both the previous gen. Now they're previous gen consoles. My 360 hasn't been turned on in so long that it still has the Blade interface on it, and my PlayStation 3. We use with some regularity, but only as a Blu-ray player. I mean, I haven't gamed. I think I, I played Journey on it when it came out, uh, per Syracuse's recommendation. But other than that, I don't think I have played a game on the PS3 for two or three years. So I mean, there's just there's nothing compelling about it. Just for for me personally, and recognizing that I'm pretty far off the norm, there's nothing compelling about the new generation of systems, either the, the Xbox One or the PS4, that would push me to need to buy them. I get everything that I need out of a computer, and frankly, my games run at higher resolution and look better anyway. So, ha ha ha. Right. Lee, your opinions <laughs> on consoles are wrong, and I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes on an itemized <laughs> list of why. Oh, I Here see you are one of my Twitter followers. <laughs> Welcome to the internet. Yeah, Welcome to the kidding. internet. <laughs> No, that's cool. I mean, I, I, that's why I love asking you about this stuff. And, and we really, I think this is a particular uh, time in history where th this this matters because, like you said at the bottom of the show, um, or was at the top, <laughs> like you said at the top of the show, uh, there's two consoles out at the same time. And I think that's that really speaks to where the industry is at. And I... Um, 
I also think I feel like now that the coverage is happening and I read lots of other sites uh, writing about the two machines, you know, that, that discussion of, you know, PC gaming versus console, I think um, I think it still it hasn't changed all that much. I mean, I think it's there's preferences and uh, there's compelling reasons to be on either side. It just depends on how you live. It, it really is. And it never will. Yeah. It, it will never change. The, there's there's nothing in these consoles for sure to to convince uh, PC gamers that it's it's suddenly time to to move over to the living room uh, and, and spend you know only a few hundred dollars every seven years instead of uh, you know a few hundred dollars every six months on a <laughs> graphics card or something. Uh, they're they're not going to think that. Um, it really remains to be seen actually what uh, Valve does with its Steam machines, which are. Uh, going to really start an earnest push in January at CES, they're going to be showing them off. That's a real bold push to try and actually get those PC gamers to reconsider gaming on the living room TV, and they're doing some really interesting things with the controller and with streaming and with uh, compatibility with the older PC games that uh, it's going to really complicate what, uh, or at least it has the potential to complicate what Sony and Microsoft are doing with their more traditional uh, standard console and let's add some media features. It really does because you have to look at and again this is this is something we could probably do an entire separate podcast about. But you have to look at what the revenue stream is and where uh, where these companies are going to draw not just one time purchase dollars but continued dollars uh, and that that revenue stream ties in with you know monetizing everything that someone does on a console and that includes keeping them locked into a to a feature-filled and attractive walled garden in each one. Microsoft is setting up its own set of ecosystems uh, and and does it uh, and is doing a very good job in getting all kinds of stuff that, that people want. Sony has its own box that it wants people to be stuck into. Uh, Steam is going to bring with it a tremendous, humongous library of applications, uh, including... Um, one of the most interesting things that Steam's going to be able to drag with it is is a huge back catalog. It's going to be a tremendous back catalog of games that the current generation consoles may not necessarily have access to. Although, well, some of it, whatever some of they can it, port right. to, to Linux, some. So, I whatever. mean, it's yeah. it's a whole it, it's a whole big deal about like where where is the money going to come from? Where is the where are the long revenue streams going to come out of, and where is the monetization happening? And like you said, Steam is very Steam and the Steam Box are are going to be pretty disruptive because I don't think they're going to have similar you know revenue trails to the other consoles. Now, now let me add here. I, I just have to say because uh, what you just said just sort of set my brain on fire. Being, like I mentioned, being a budget nerd and waiting for the right moment to you know sort of pick right back up. If I was going to be a super budget nerd, then I might actually just wait and see. What happens with that? Because that back catalog is super interesting to me as well. Because there are some things that don't overlap. There's some titles out there that I've seen on there that I would love. And the device itself might be something more innovative, even with the industrial design that we talked about before. So and, I, yeah. this could make me wait longer. And the way Steam puts stuff on sale, you know, you're going to be able to get a lot of software really cheap if you're uh, willing to wait for it. Oh, um, man. Hell yeah. So, yes. yeah, the only, yeah, the only two questions that, that I really have remaining on Steam are, one, um, getting all that back catalog ported over to the Steam OS, which uh, the Linux-based system. Not all Steam games will run uh, automatically out of the box unless you're streaming them from an existing PC. Very true. And if you're doing, and if you're doing that, you know, you kind of want to play it on PC. Uh, 
Two is the the way the new controller works. Uh, from everything I've heard, it's it's a great uh, living room solution to the the mouse and keyboard problem. But until uh, I actually get it in my hands, it's it's really still an open question. Yep. And actually, the the third thing is you were speaking about revenue streams, and it's interesting that Microsoft and Sony can kind of subsidize their consoles and release them at a price point that would be lower than that hardware usually demands because they know they're going to make it back in software revenues. With uh, the Steam machines, Valve isn't really going to be producing them, I understand. Uh, They're going to leave that to other hardware makers who aren't going to actually share in the software revenue Steam that Valve has. So they're going to have to price their machines at unsubsidized prices, which means uh, to get a decent Steam machine, you're going to be looking probably... At hardware prices that are more like seven, eight hundred dollars, up to a thousand dollars to compete currently with uh, the Xbox One and the PlayStation Four. That's interesting. Uh, it, Everybody's got to make it, their margins somewhere. Exactly. So yeah. I don't. I, I mean, I'm I'm pulling these numbers out of my butt right now, but I would not be surprised if uh, four hundred dollars on a Steam machine doesn't get you anything close to the power that you can get from a PlayStation Four. Interesting. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. It's Indeed. it kind of it comes back to you know we were talking before the podcast started here, and and we were we were discussing specs. Uh, <clears throat> as the as the reviews editor here at at ours, I get to put my hands on a lot of different hardware. Uh, you know, I see all kinds of stuff from, from gaming stuff to you know consumer electronics, and it's very very rare that you run into a situation where a device is defined. The, the 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 truth of the device is defined purely by the specifications that it comes with. Um, you know, your spec list will get you a, sort of a a gross description of a given device, but the the soul of the machine, the the truth of the product, never well, I won't say never, very very rarely can be described purely in terms of the internals that it's got and the gigahertz it runs at and the frequency of the RAM and the blah blah blah. It really is going to come down to, you know, when you sit down in front of it, what's it like to play and what kind of games are there and how good are they? Uh, so, you know, I'll reserve judgment on the on the Steam box, the $400 Steam box, because if I can sit down with the $400 Steam box, pull up, you know, my Steam library and play the copy of the secret or the, play, play the copy of Monkey Island that I've got in my Steam library, which comes capsulized with DOSBox, which works fine in Linux. If I can play that on my living room TV all of a sudden, then that's, at least to me, hugely more beneficial than being able to say, you know, Xbox, whatever, Xbox, change the channel, Xbox, take a picture of me flipping off the TV, you know, whatever, whatever you can do with the current generation console. If you're really looking for a, a Monkey Island box, I I think a Raspberry Pi would, would kind of do that. <laughs> that was the that was the first that was the first game I could think of just as as, a, as an example. But I mean, it's yeah, I know it's what you mean. it's the software. It's 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 the things that you do with it and what it enables you to do and how you feel when you use it. It's it's not just the 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 gigahertz and the megapixels and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, as far as far as games on the PlayStation Four and Xbox One go, there's been a lot of uh, talk recently about how Xbox One games are, are severely underpowered and they're running at lower resolution, and uh, the Xbox One can't can't handle this. PlayStation Four is is vastly more powerful, and you know I I said this before and I, it's held up in my living room testing. I really just don't see a huge difference. If if anything, uh, I see a slight change in the the color space between 
similar games on the Xbox One and PS4. But the pixels, uh, the, Xbox, the pixels, the X, style. The Xbox One version is, is a little <laughs> duller, but really, to my eyes, if switching between the inputs, uh, it's it's such a minute difference. Uh, really, not worth getting hyped up. If about. you're if you're chasing specs, you're playing the wrong game, and you're looking at the wrong stuff. What you should be looking at is is the console but enjoyable and are the games good. It's fun. Well, it's, it it's, can be fun chasing specs. It can be fun chasing specs. I There's mean, a reason people do it. You can it can be fun collecting all the Pokemans too, but I mean, whatever. It's just Oh, we we don't have Andrew here to defend himself, <laughs> but I will I will defend Pokemon. I, I like Pokemon myself. I was one of, I was one of those people chasing specs back in back in the Nintendo sixty four PlayStation days and trying to you know, it was out of a need to really prove that the the system I was choosing was was the best one that I was spending my my dollars wisely and well, of course. you know kind of kind of to convince other people of that so they would also buy the system and then more people would get uh, make games for that system you know there was a little bit of self interest in it too uh, but yeah eventually you grow up and you have enough disposable income that uh, uh, and you realize that you know the same games are come most of the same games are coming to both systems and that they're both going to look great and you just you can't get too caught up in the numbers game anymore. So we'll we'll check in on this again in what another six years when we all have 8K TVs and we're looking oh, at the, the next the next yep. next stuff. I can't wait for the, you to to sit three inches from the 8K TV to <laughs> see a difference in in the resolutions. Now, luckily, our readers and listeners don't have to wait that long to, to see what happens next in this uh, story. You know, we're leaving sort of in a, a cliffhanger here, uh, but. Uh, you guys should go to ArsTechnica.com and all the coverage is there. As you know, we're doing a lot more video now. So um, some of the facets that you hear on the show here, now you can also see them. And Kyle's piece with the Xbox and the PS4 uh, have lots of that stuff. So in a sense, we're leaving off on a cliffhanger. The, the show will come back in the future in some other new way. And... Um, for now, uh, we want to say thank you, and uh, I want to thank both of you for being here in this uh, show. Well, thanks Happy for having. Had a great time. <laughs>